Hey everyone, welcome to Artichoke Podcast, episode number four. This is a artifact-centered podcast where we talk about what the community is talking about, some uh, deck choices, and we're going to also talk a little bit about lore. I am Lumi, and joining me are two of my greatest friends in the whole wide world. What's up, guys? Why does our rank keep changing every week? I mean, I think that's fine. Many titles. It's The rank is increasing every time, and I... I don't believe you, but okay. Nice. I'm leveling up every time. I feel nothing. But yeah, I'm a Yosin. I am Sheila. Nice to meet you. For the fifth time. Fourth time. We're in episode four. <laughs> fourth guys. time. Sorry. Yeah. Fourth time. We had a pilot episode, but uh, that's, uh, you know, for practice. That was not released. Anyways, <laughs> so today we're going to talk about a couple of topics. As it is rumored, we have a patch coming up. Maybe by the time that you listen to this podcast, a new patch will be coming out. My guess is on January 10th, Valve is back from their holidays and they're going to be making a couple of changes. So we're going to split the podcast into two halves. The first half, we're going to talk about what are the non-gameplay changes that we want to see them to make. As you might know, patch 1.2 brought about a lot of different changes, such as the ranking system, the leveling system. And I kind of wanted to revisit that and see how you guys feel about that now that you guys have more time uh, playing Artifact. Mm -hmm. And also, the second half of the episode, we're going to talk about specific cards that we want to see buffed or nerfed. Seems like Valve is very open to the idea of changing cards. So we're going to you know, put our ideas out there. There's really, really good Constructed deck. We're going to be focused on Constructed today when we talk about the balance changes. Yes, I'm ready to go. Yep. All right. Okay, so we got the patch 1.2. A couple of changes already happened. Anything that's like on your chest that you disliked about the patch or really liked and want to see them do more of? I already mentioned it last time, right? Like, I'm happy to see that they're pushing out all these changes. Now it just needs to be refined. So I'm not going to go too deeply into it because bottom line is everything does need to be improved. I'm just happy that it's there to begin with. As to how they would change it, I guess the most important one right now is the ranking. The ranking doesn't really seem like a true ranking system. In fact, it it doesn't resemble anything to a, a ranking system, right? You're just playing, and then you level up. Yeah. And, and you're it, specifically talking about the the draft and constructed ranking, right? I think yes. the way that they proposed it, it was kind of an MMR system where the more you win, the stronger opponents you're going to face, mm-hmm. and the harder it is for you to rank up. Kind of like how it is like Dota MMR or how it is from like StarCraft 2 and stuff. From the way that I've heard people talk about it, it's literally just a grind. The more you play, the, the more you, you rank up. Yeah. Yeah. There's no there's no skill. There's no de-ranking. I think previously when we mentioned that is like maybe you de-rank invisibly, like if you just go on a 10 game losing streak, it'll take you maybe 11 to 12 games to bump your rank up by one. Mm-hmm. And that's not the case, I don't think. It was confirmed by um, Cyborg Matt, though, on Twitter, as well as Brandon Reinhardt, that it does work similarly to Dota, where there is an invisible MMR system that lets you basically uh, gain and lose MMR based on the games that you uh, play and win and lose. So that is an effect. It, it literally works the same way as Dota, in, in essence. <clears throat> well, here's the biggest problem. It doesn't really matter if that is the case. It just doesn't reflect very well. No, it doesn't. Yeah, the current the current display of uh, of rankings and levels and whatever does not reflect that at all. So 
everyone's kind of like, well, it doesn't feel very rewarding. doesn't it, feel like I'm going anywhere either. So. It just feels kind of like an achievement because it's uh, basically the max rank that you get is what will always show for you. So it shows how, like the highest that you've come throughout the season. And if you derank, then you derank. And like, I understand that they maybe implemented it for a few things. I know bladder anxiety is a thing. They also probably want to just make people feel good when they play um, and not demotivate them. But it just doesn't have the same kind of accomplishment that a true ranking system would. Yeah, I also might go back to the fact that maybe Valve doesn't think a ranking system is good to have. And it's kind of just a byproduct of what the community is asking for. And they're kind of just appeasing us. Uh, I I don't know if that's actually the case, but I'm Mm. maybe guessing here. They have done one eighties on, you know, there's, there's no way their designs. There's absolutely no way they would, that's the case. Like they must've had something in mind. They just weren't sure what they wanted it to be because like, if you think about it, right. Valve's not a small company. They hundred percent ask people like, what do you think people would want to see? And unless they asked a hundred people who clearly have no idea what they're talking about. I'm going to guarantee you 99% of them said there needs to be some sort of progression, right? Some, some sort of ranking, some way to see how good you are compared to others. Then why wasn't it implemented on launch? Don't ask me. They probably asked, (laughs) they probably listened to the 1% who said, no, don't need it. And the other 99% were ignored. Who knows? I don't know. We will not be privy to it. Because if I was asked by Valve, should you see a ranking? And there was a hundreds of me, all 100 would say, yes, yeah. implement a ranking system. <laughs> not even one? No, wow. not even one. Impressive. Nice solidarity. I have no, yourself. yeah, I have no uh, weak genes. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. I like, I brought up the comparison for the ranking system to Dota, right? And you could argue, well, maybe Dota's kind of the same way. It's a bit different though because after a certain point you actually get numbers attached to your rank if you hit immortal which can be anywhere from i think like top 2500 players wait is that correct so let me stop you there that's an entire separate thing already even before that happens there's already a very big difference in the fact that there are skill brackets before immortal that's fair right if if artifact had something like along the lines of you know legend archon ancient that's already a, a step up. I mean, you could argue that the levels are kind of like that no, too, they right? are not. No. You have to understand from a consumer point of view, it is not the same. It is mm. very different, and artifact needs something like that. It they need. I I don't know what the best way is, but they must be thinking of something. So hmm. yeah, using Dota as a comparison, generally when the number is thrown out there, there is some sort of feeling that you associate with that number, right? So going mm. a couple of years back, before all these immortal archives, I don't know what, what is associating with what because I don't pay attention to, to that. I only knew when there was a strict number system for the MMR, right? Yeah. So back then when 8K was considered really high or 10K is considered really high, if you tell somebody, oh, I'm a 5K player, or I'm a 6K player, it they, could immediately, they could immediately tell what your skill level is, right? Yes. Right now, when somebody tells you, hey, I'm ranked 65, the only thing I know about that player is, oh, you play this a lot. That's yes, it. I don't know exactly. how good or bad they are. And I don't think that's a good way to use a the system ranking. like that. Yeah, maybe maybe don't call it a ranking system because this really isn't, at least it's not really the way that we knew ranking system to be. Call it whatever, like a leveling system. 
if you want to call it that. But it's it's not at least the ranking system that people are asking for, personally. It's not. Although when you bring up, you know, the Dota comparison and how, you know, when a player mentions their MMR, you can immediately tell how skilled they are. I always keep thinking of the Dota Reddit memes where it's like, ah, 3K scrub, ah, 4K scrubs think they know how to play, but really they're just slightly better than 3Ks. Ah, you're 5K, you think you're pro, but you're not really there. And I'm wondering if they wanted to steer away from that kind of like toxic community side by not attaching numbers like that. I think that's actually a very interesting discussion. I'm not sure if we want to have it today, but like whether ranks are actually good or bad. Yeah. Yeah. But either way, I think we're all pretty agreed that like we do want to see an actual ranking system and this is not it, but they did make a step in the right direction. So we're looking forward to seeing what they do further on. I'm going to go ahead and say that it's it's 100% more beneficial to have a ranking system. That's, the toxicity is not as in, insane as it looks. It's just you're only going to hear it from people who are annoying enough to to vocalize it. Yeah. Most other people are just normal and don't say anything. So. And Dota and Artifact are different games in the end, so maybe the Echo Chamber Reddit would be a bit different. You never know. Yeah. I, I think to be fair, like Stephen bringing up a good point that the people that are vocalizing about it are also people that care enough to vocalize about it. Yes. yes. You and I are making a podcast. Where obviously, we're more competitive than the usual players, so we want a ranking system, but we're not really sure if that's actually beneficial to the game as a whole. It would make me happier, but obviously I'm not a good representation of the agile, uh, average player base. That's I mean, me. I'm going to go ahead and say that it would be good just because of how in-depth the game is. The only kind of people you're going to attract to the game are mostly going to be competitive anyways. So Yeah. Okay. So another big kind of topic of discussion was about the monetization system. Um, I think we touched on it a while back. Steven, how much have you spent since we actually had that discussion on Artifact? Uh, this is about two, three weeks ago, I think. Since we, we had the discussion, I spent zero. Okay. Mm-hmm. I didn't buy anything. I had nothing to buy. I haven't spent any money as well. But to be fair, I went pretty ham when Artifact first came out. I actually had to spend maybe, honestly, $20, $30 more simply because I wanted to play Constructed and I didn't have three time and triumph. I didn't have certain mm. cards so i had for me to play constructed i had to put in a little bit more money but in mm. terms of vent tickets um with the addition of the recycling cards with the addition of patch 1.2 where you got extra packs as you leveled up i i think i actually gained tickets i don't think i've lost extra tickets mm. so i i think for the three of us we were all somewhat baffled when people are saying that like it's too expensive to play i could see how it, it can be too expensive to play but at the same time it's not applying to us I mean, another thing, too, is um, market prices have definitely dropped if you want to play Constructed. Like, if you look at a lot of the tier decks that are listed online, like um, Draw2GG has a pretty nice uh, list of a lot of the top decks, and it also has a... I'm not sure how like super up-to-date it is, um, but it will reflect a market price for all the cards that you need to buy. And the average price of most of the decks is about 20 to 30 bucks. Which is definitely an investment. I'm not going to say it's like cheap change because if you want to continue like trying different decks, you know, that's going to add up. But there's a point where you're just going to have all the cards and then you can just do whatever you want. 
And the whole set on average, I think, is supposed to be about $120. So even if you put in like the 20-ish bucks or so to get one uh, deck going so you can try to play Constructed and get into the meta, you're not going to be looking at more than 100 more bucks to really fill out your whole set. And honestly, with the packs that you win, the packs that you get from leveling up, the packs that you get from initially buying the game, that definitely alleviates the cost too. There's another prevalent discussion point about the like prize play. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people feel that there should be some sort of reward for going 50-50, which is two and two, right? Because yeah. once you hit your second loss, you're out. And at two and two, you don't get any rewards. Mm-hmm. So my initial feeling about this is like, get good kind of, which seems pretty <laughs> cynical. But then at the same time, as the weeks went by, the players that used to put in the money in the system by going two and two are no longer playing in it because for them, they don't get anything back. Yeah. So then those players are out of the system. So the only player that are actually good are the really, really good players. Mm-hmm. And then eventually those sort of good people get squeezed down to two and two and then they jump out. Do you see this loop that I'm describing here? I do. Maybe maybe the reward system isn't that good. I was actually considering that because I was trying to think of how much uh, average player will put into Artifact per day, how much time they'll put into it each day. And if tickets are a limiting factor where they can only do it maybe once, then maybe there can be a daily where one win grants you one ticket and you can only get it once per day per mode but that would include both social and prize and the tickets would maybe be just tied to the run so it's almost like you get an extra free run and that way you could at least you know play twice in a row and potentially like redraft do something better do something new i don't know if that would really alleviate anything though i'm just trying to think of other card games that i've played that I actually enjoyed um, their monetization. Well, the thing is, what other card games have you played that had a cost attached to game modes? That's the big thing for people. Shadowburst. I mean, it did? Hearthstone. Yeah, if you want to go, if you want to go do the arena run, you have to pay. Oh, okay. You either have to have the ticket or you buy the ticket. You know, the ticket is like two fifty or something. Mm. And you can argue. Well, you can argue too. You don't have to play. Um, well, does that mean then that they should attach prizes to the casual modes? Okay, so here's here's how Shadowverse works. You can play ranked for free, right? And you could climb, but it's not like you go on a gauntlet or anything, right? You just keep climbing. And the further you climb, like nothing actually changes. Your rank just goes up. At certain uh at certain point values, uh you also gain like seasonal rewards, but it's like really minimal. Mm-hmm. So, by continuously playing the game, you don't actually get anything, really. Mm-hmm. Well, except a number. And some people are really happy about that number. Yeah. If it was only a number for me, as a starting player, that wouldn't cut it, right? Because I want to try newer and newer decks. And this is where the price thing comes in play, right? People are complaining about the the price for decks in uh, an artifact. If I wanted to build a full meta deck in Shadowverse it's probably just as expensive or if not even more depending on the deck that you're playing and no one complained there. Right. And I think the reason why is because number one, the game was free. And number two was that 
since it was a it's a it's a more Japanese style type of like reward system where they give you uh, login rewards, right? So you get packs every single day just by logging in. Actually, you don't get packs every day for logging in. Sorry, you get currency for logging in every day and packs uh, every other like five days or something like that. And then um, whenever they have like events or collaborations, you get more packs. So they just like constantly give you stuff. And then whenever the season resets, you know, you get more stuff. Uh, whenever a new expansion comes out, they give everyone like 10 packs. And they're just like really generous with how, how much stuff they give you. And uh, I played Shadowverse for free, right? I never put a dime in it. I played it for maybe like two seasons for fun. Uh, never made it to the top rank, but over the course of two seasons, I was able to make like, I want to say three meta decks without investing anything just by liquidating all my other cards and opening packs and all that kind of stuff. So like, it felt pretty good playing that, not going to lie. And also the fact that there were so many viable meta decks, you know? I'm not sure what what was the point of that. I'm not <laughs> saying what you said had no value, but like essentially how how it ties back to. Okay, so number one artifact. Number one is the comparison of monetization. Mm-hmm. People are just unhappy to pay for the game. Honestly, you could have just removed the purchase and just like put that kind of like purchase elsewhere, where it's not as like gatekeeping. Like you just like That's you true. make it so that the game is free. But you make a very you you literally just take that um, you know how when you buy the game right you get ten packs and five tickets no five packs two tickets now but you still get yeah. the deck wait when you buy the game now you only get they five. changed it because of the account leveling system ah okay yeah that kind of sucks yeah. it does it does suck some people pre ordered the game uh, when it first came out but only opened it recently after the patch change and they actually got less pack than the people that opened it before. So there are some. Uh... Okay, so that that kind of that kind of like changes it a little bit. Okay, but now let's say for example, now that since it's uh now that it's changed, right? Uh, my point was you could just remove the purchase price tag, and then just offer a. Uh, now that it's cut in half, right? You could just be like, you know, one time offer, uh, ten dollars will get you, um, five packs and two tickets. You know, a lot of and then and then that. a lot of people will just do that instead, yeah. right? And it's exactly the same thing. You might have less people buying it, but most people will end up purchasing it. And then the people who do purchase it end up being a little more invested. And then in the long run, they're more willing to spend more money on uh, different things that you're going to uh, offer in the future. And the other half of the long Shadowverse rant is like how they do a good job in like keeping you coming back, right? They make They make you come back because... You have a login reward, right? So you want you're like inclined to log in at least once every single day, just to you know collect whatever it is. They incentivize you to come back because um, whenever a new expansion comes out, there's like they give you ten packs. So then you you you're just like, well, I'm, I mean, I'm not gonna lie. I logged in the other day. I was like, I, I know I got ten packs. I'm I'm just gonna open it. I pulled like three legendaries and I'm like, cool, and I logged out. But you know, some people might be like, is that oh, really incentivizing you to play? I mean. I will almost hit the play button. I was just okay, like, okay. I was just, you know, messing around. But, you know, some people might come back and that kind of thing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they, they give you a reason to to come back and play, mm. you know, aside from, you know, actually playing the game itself. Yeah. Well, I'll definitely agree with your point about taking the base price of the game out of the question 
or at least making it a non-factor. There have been a lot of players that have mentioned that, you know, higher level players, competitive players that think the game should go free to play. And instead you should just have some kind of, you know, system within the game or a shop system in the game where you can like buy packages of packs for like a discount price, like an introduction pack. Hearthstone has something like that. I'm pretty sure almost every card game has and like an introduction beginners pack. Welcome to the game. Here's some uh, packs for super cheap along with our in-game currency. I don't know why they don't introduce cosmetics either. I'm sure, well, that's really that's not down the roll. That's down I, the roll. Yeah. Yeah, but they didn't even say anything about it. You know, why, why talk about something that's like not your priority? People are just going to be like, why are you guys focusing on cosmetics when you should be fixing your rank system? And no, 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 but not that though. You just no, say, no, 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 you don't even bring it up. You just keep it low and then you just focus on making the game better and then you bring on all the pretty shiny things for people to enjoy. I 100% agree with Sheila. <laughs> I feel like if the next patch they talk about cosmetics while everyone's ranting about all of these things that need to get fixed. Well, I mean, I'm not talking about like right now. I'm talking about in the past. Like they were, because they they were brave enough to say we're gonna we're also looking into a, a rank system, right? So like I think like around that time, oh, like in beta? in the, like in beta before the game even released, you just talked about all the stuff that you have in mind. I mean, they definitely offhand has said that they're they are gonna add cosmetic. Every time people ask about imps, they're like, yeah, we're gonna do something like that for the future. It's just never. They okay. really gloss over it. They don't go into any detail at all. One thing about monetization that I was wondering about was why people are so upset over the price of Artifact when, you know, when you actually break the numbers down, it's really not that much more expensive than, you know, Hearthstone or Magic the Gathering Arena. Because I did a lot of research on Reddits and Blizzard forums and uh, Magic the Gathering websites. And when people basically talked about the costs for, you know, expansions or for current sets. And Magic the Gathering Arena is pretty new, so some of the you know, details on that were a little off-kilter. Overall, is about the same price, so why do people get so much more upset with Artifact? I think it's the, the Shadowverse rant that Steven had. <laughs> the fact that you have to pay 20 to get Exactly. The- it's the stigma yeah. of everything, right? Like You have to pay 20 to get the game. You have to pay a dollar to actually play in the prize play. Mm-hmm. Whereas... You get the game for free. You don't have a lot of cards, but you get the game for free. You know, honestly, I think it comes out to be about the same, like you mentioned. I think yeah. Artifact's even cheaper. It is cheaper compared when to... When you guys talk about the, the competitive, like, deck experience, for Shadowverse, like, you had to play for, what, two months to get three competitive decks? Yeah. Right now, if I want to put down $20 for Mono Blue, and then if I want to switch deck tomorrow to, like, Red Green Ramp, I maybe lose out five bucks, but I could sell my mono blue and then switch into red green ground yeah. that much cheaper. You don't have to wait four more weeks of grinding to switch decks. And that's really, really good. Um, yeah. if people are, know what they want to play. The thing is, I'm not sure if people do know what they want to play and people just want to have a lot of cards and true. There's kind of a, they want, I mean, they definitely want everything. So, you know, yeah. yeah, they want the ability to like experiment and, you know, have fun and try a lot of stuff without having to put money down, which I, I kind of understand, but I wonder then if I hear there's a good mode for that. It's called a uh, casual draft. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I was also wondering, um, and I, I kind of brought it up earlier before, but 
if getting into prize play has some kind of barrier to it, should the casual play where you don't pay any tickets still award you a single ticket so that you can at least do basic entry level prize play maybe like once a day i was thinking that every non-prize play win that you get so think of like casual uh casual draft casual constructed every mm-hmm. win you get should give you a common or two commons right oh okay That's and- my personal fix and then so that gives you cards mm-hmm. and they're common so they're like three cents or if you already have those cards that's like a 20th of a ticket or a 10th of a ticket. And then you could just recycle them eventually to get. So eventually it gives you both. Yeah, that would actually be pretty cool. I mean, I, I made the suggestions. Uh, I don't know what Valve thinks think is a good idea, but it's definitely suggested. Mm, I'm sure right. I'm sure they have like an actual team of really much smarter people than me. <laughs> that probably <laughs> came up with this already. Yeah. You know? but, yeah. I mean, you'll be surprised. Dude. You could have as much time in school. And you would still get this wrong. So honestly, having a consumer point of view is much more valuable than you would imagine, I think. I mean, that's why they haven't designed Wisp yet, right? You still haven't sent in the, the Wisp design. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. God, I don't, uh, I don't I don't know. They they need to fix their game first. So I don't want to overload them with, with this. Uh, <laughs> how kind of you. Yeah. At least personally, my on my wish list is a better ranking system coming yes. in, in the next patch. And I think we spent quite a bit of time on, on this discussion, so let's move on. The next part of the podcast is about the same thing, but less so about the the flair of the game, but more so about the game itself. How will we balance things? So in patch 1.2, Valve has shown that they are changing uh, and they're willing to balance cars. There were a lot of heroes and cars that got buffed and a couple of heroes and cars that got nerfed. So today we're going to kind of segment this discussion by talking about some of the top tier constructed decks right now whether we think they're like the deck is too strong or balanced. And if so, how will we change the deck to either buff it or nerf it? So we're going to start it from the top. So Steven and I recently cast the Panda TV Pioneer Artifact Tournament, which is a Chinese tournament that invited a couple of Western players. So Life Coach was in it, Wife Coach was in it, Swim was invited, he didn't show up, uh, Rob AJG, Stan Sifka. So a couple of big names were in it. There were a draft portion, and then there were a constructed portion. And towards the end of the constructed portion, it was literally a red-green mirror every single damn match. And it was it was kind of fun as a strong word to describe it, but, you know, it was interesting matches to cast and watch. So let's start with that. Red-green ramp. What do you guys feel the deck is in the meta, and would you change it in any way? I do have a quick question. Uh, so most of the red-green ramp, how many of them included Drow Ranger and how many of them excluded her? Like almost all of them excluded her. Do you think yeah. that the change to Drow made red-green actually stronger because people are focusing on other uh, heroes, like like in an Omni Knight, or is it something People else? don't even run Omni Knight. I didn't even see any Omni Knight. It was just Tree and Lycan. Tree and Lycan. I, I wouldn't say stronger. I would just say different. I think Drow Ranger has her place. Um, Drow Ranger very good against the blue decks because Gus just kind of locks blue out, at least how old Gus was. Yeah. But I think in the new world, where it's a lot of Requiem Mirror, Drow's actually a liability because her body's quite weak. For example, she dies to duel from Bristleback, duel from uh, Legion see. Commander. Yeah. Whereas. 
if you put a lichen, 10 health actually makes you stay. And the card that lichen brings you, the Savage Wolf, allows you to be much more proactive. And in the Red Green Mirror, being proactive is more important than being reactive, which is what Gus gives you. Mm. So out of a lot of the Red Green decks, we saw versions without draw. So the deck even got cheaper, if you want to think of it that way. There was one copy of it in the finals that included Drow, but I kind of feel like that is not a good representation of the meta. I feel like if you just tell me what, if you ask me what rank, red green ramp right now is, I will tell you it's Lycan Tree, X, Bristol LC. Those yeah. five. Yeah. I see. I agree. That's, uh, that's the most common version of it that we saw. There was a decent variation where they ran Tidehunter instead. Yeah, you, it wasn't the. I mean, the one of the decks in the finals was was a Tidehunter Drow replacement, but I didn't really like that much. Um, but I, I think we did end up seeing one that replaced Bristle for Tide, and that's actually not bad, especially when you somehow managed to avoid Red Green Mirror. That Kraken Shell actually was super super crucial to winning a lot of games. So, but other than that, Kraken Shell is such a good card, honestly. Well, initiative is just insanely good. So, so I guess we're all in agreement that the deck is quite good. Obviously, a lot of Chinese player brought in the tournament, and it's considered to be the tier one deck currently. Anything to change about the deck? Would you change the ramp aspect? Would you change the payoff aspect of the ramp? Earlier, Stephen was mentioning something about uh, Time of Triumph. Oh no, the karaoke is started. Oh, no. I can't. Why? How? Isn't it a Monday night? Dude, how? It's a Monday night. Alright, anyways. I was talking about Time of Triumph earlier. And I was talking about how if any part needed to change, it's it's going to be Time of Triumph. We watched so many red-green ramp that it actually just became a race to see who could Time of Triumph first. Like, even, even turn 2 Emissary wasn't enough to win a game. <laughs> but a turn 2 Time of Triumph will definitely win you the game. I, I would definitely start with that first. Any specific proposed changes? I, I wrote down a couple of different variations of how I would nerf Time of Triumph. How to nerf Time of Triumph. All right, you okay. want to hear my, my ideas first? All right, wait, wait. I, I, got, I got one first. All right, I got okay. one first. All right. Time of Triumph, 8 mana. It gives you plus 6 to everything, right, instead of 4. Okay. You may only target one unit. Ooh. Okay. That's fair. You may only target one hero. Yeah. I feel like that's in line with what red is more trying to do. It's like buff one really really strong hero. I don't know. I don't know if eight is the right cost for that. Maybe you should like lower to six or something. It'll be a really nice team, right? Six mana, six to everything. Well, that that's too powerful though. Is it too powerful? Is it too powerful? I don't think it is. The siege, the cleave, the armor. Like what? I no don't way. think it's more powerful because there's a lot of ways to answer it one for one, right? If you cast six mana, the new proposed time of triumph, Coup de Gras answers it temporarily. Like uh-huh. Cleansing Right answers it temporarily. I think the fact that makes time of triumph currently really strong right now, it's an AoE spell. AOE and once spell. you play it, it doesn't matter what you do. Like eventually it's gonna get you. Yes. So I actually like your change, but I don't know if I would put it eight mana. Eight mana would make it a dead card, right? That's that's yeah, what I think. Exactly. Yeah, it's too low impact the, the turn you cast it. So there, there's two changes I, I thought of. Number one is reduce all the stats to 3-3-3-3-3 three, 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 instead of 4-4-4-4-4. Four, 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 four. I feel like that. That's like a really 
scoring change. The reason I change it from four to three is how it plays with Vesture the Tyrant. Because right now, Vesture doesn't cleanly block the Siege aspect of the uh, the card. Yeah. Now, you could use one Vesture and just kind of shut them out cold. Yeah, they still have really strong hero, and their hero will probably kill your hero, but eventually, you could outblock it. Uh, that's my number one change. Another way to change it is to actually take away the armor gain that you get from the card. Keep everything else the same, except the armor gain. The problem I had watching the Red Green Mirror uh, casting Time of Triumph is that whoever casts it first wins. And the reason why is that you just you jump from... Yeah, you jump from zero armor to four armor if you're the green hero. You jump from two armor to six hero if uh, six armor if you're an axe. Yeah. You could just never actually kill it. Whereas if you actually don't give them the armor... It's still very strong offensively. Even defensively, you have Retaliate and you have Cleave and you have Siege. All of that is great. And at least the opponent could still throw down a hero like a PA or or Axe and trade with one of your heroes. Right now, they're just literally unkillable. And it's just not fun. Once you get to Time of Triumph, you just win. And I I think it's actually very unhealthy gameplay um, the way that Time of Triumph currently is. We joked about it a lot on on the cast, but that actually is what it is, right? Like you... You play red green, and it's it feels so low skilled, right? You're just waiting to draw the card, and that's what the matchup feels like, or yep. that's what the deck feels like, and that's uh, like you said, it's it's not a good way to to play play the game. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so that is the at least the tier one deck in the Chinese scene. Perhaps the tier one deck in the Western scene is the mono blue deck we saw a lot of top players pilot to tournament victory. Obviously, hype with the Seat Story Cup swim uh, on his online tournament win they both had like sometimes they had a 40 card version that sometimes they had a 44 card version yeah. i think this deck is a little bit more controversial whether it needs buffs or change or nerf at all obviously mm-hmm. in the western scene a lot of people consider it to be the best deck also it's a deck that's not very fun to play or watch or maybe even play do you guys think that this deck needs changes or do you guys think this deck is balanced well, I will say a lot of people are unhappy with Ogre and Multicast right now. I know RNG is kind of like a tricky Is that topic. a lot of people or is it Petrify? <laughs> it's Petrify and a lot of Reddit. Like, there are a lot of people who think that the RNG mechanic needs to have some kind of limitations. Because when you have somebody that just happens to multicast, like, you know, five Arcane Assaults in a row, it's pretty ridiculous that was a great reddit clip by the way i saw that. That <laughs> yeah yeah so i mean i like multicast as a effect i think it's neat and unique and it really um caters to like you know digital card game effects or whatever but having some kind of upper limit to it would also be nice i i actually agree i i think like the idea behind it is great. I think it's a really fun mechanic, but there needs to be limitations. It can't just be so ridiculous when it comes to luck. Like, let's say if you had, like, Selimane and you just go off and you end up copying, you know, like, half of your cards. I mean, of course the game is not fun for the other person, right? I mean, <laughs> if you want to make him really like Ogre, you could just uh, make it so it could multicast anywhere from one to four times, <laughs> like two to four times, and it just instantly casts it. Like, it doesn't put it in your hand. It just, like, does the effect immediately. I don't know how I feel about the RNG in general. Like, you guys brought up Ogre Magi. I think Bounty Hunter is a 
another fine example of this. I mm. kind of like this type of RNG in the game. It adds variability. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I believe I'm kind of a pretty competitive mindset, but I'm okay with RNG because I feel like, I don't know. I, I think the game is actually less fun if I could math out exactly what happens. That, that, yeah, that part is obvious. That part is obvious. What we're trying to, what, what the point I'm trying to get to is there needs to be a limitations because it's not, it's not a good thing to have in the game when honestly the chances aren't even like that low when what you can do you pull mean by the limitation is 25 percent of the time you'll copy a blue spell that is says on the card that isn't that the limitation or are you talking about something else well what i'm trying to say is it's not out of the ordinary for you to copy like three times straight that's like yes that's how math works that's, that's how 25 percent works game breaking like it's not game breaking it's well Yes, no, it's, yes, game-breaking. it's game-breaking. Like, if it happened to you, you're just going to be like, wow, I can't believe that happened. It's not fun. Like, it's not good. You can't possibly tell me that it's something that should should happen. I think there it should, it should be changed. Like, I'm fine with the mechanic itself, but it can't be allowed to happen, like, six times straight if you're lucky enough. I, From a philosophical standpoint, I think Mono Blue needs to be changed, but I would not touch Ogre, personally, if I would change Mono Blue. What do you think the other issue is with Mono Blue? There are two cards I would look at. Mm-hmm. Number one is Aghanim Sanctum. Mm. Kind of insane <laughs> what the card yeah. does. You no know, one turn cooldown? Yes, yeah. So that, that's where I'll touch it. I'll, t- I'll probably change it to a two-turn cooldown. Right now, there's no skill to the card where you just you just click that button every turn and you yeah. just get mana. I feel like if you have a two-turn cooldown on the card itself, then it, much, it makes the card much more skill-based if you want to go Sanctum and go Sanctum, Refresh, Thunder God's Wrath, and do multiple Thunder God's Wrath, that's good. You better make sure that Sanctum is prepped and ready the previous turn and you don't use it, or mm-hmm. you make sure that you, you can't double up spell in the next turn. At least that makes you plan ahead a little bit. And I think, I mean, that fits Mono Blue, right? They, all they do is plan ahead and, and think about what spells to cast. I think just changing it from one turn cooldown to two turn cooldown automatically adds so much more depth to the card. And of course, it is a nerf to the card. That's a fair. A nerf, that's a fair though. change. I agree with that. Second card. Another proposed change, and this is the more boring one. I think they they should nerf at any cost somehow. Um, whether it's changing it to four mana, whether making it do five damage instead of six, I feel like the card is a little bit pushed. Um, I'm okay with blue having annihilation because their heroes suck, and all they have to do is like wait till mana six before they could do anything, anyways. Yeah. And I think that's fine. But I feel like with a combination of at any cost plus annihilation, yeah, like it really like sh- yeah, it, it, it just shuts out a lot of like some heroes are just not playable. I I personally think like Prelix is just not in the metal because she just dies. Uh, a lot of black heroes just can't be played because they just died to mm-hmm. uh, any cost. So yeah, I I would I would look at that card, but I don't think Mono Blue is that strong, and I don't think it needs to be changed. No, I just think that the RNG shouldn't be limited by by that kind of limitation. Mm. Like that just a chance based limitation. I don't. I don't. I'm not yeah, a big fan. Like a good a good example is like uh, well, like look at Crystal Maiden. Right, you get two mana back after you play a card. You know, that's nice and nice and simple. Like, what if Ogres was like you have a 25 percent chance to multicast once per turn, but if you don't multicast, um. The chance increases by X amount of percentage until you do multicast, and then it resets back to twenty five percent. 
Since it's a digital game, you could just keep hovering to see what the number is at every time you cast a spell. Pseudo random generator. Pseudo, it's a pseudo random, right? And if you get a copy one card, you should be happy, right? One card, it's it's manageable, and you benefit from it. Great, everyone's happy. None none of this. I'm gonna arcane assault six times straight and win the game. That kind of thing, or I'm going to Salamene and dimensional portal multicast six times and spawn sixty creeps or whatever. You know, none of that. You know what's a really cool idea that you just brought into my head? So I'm going to jump away from Artifact a bit. I'm going to talk about Slay the Spire. It's oh. a it's a deck-building game that you, you're building a deck as you go through a dungeon and you fight enemies and stuff. And one of the mechanics in that game, there's a Relic in there. So the every 10th attack that you do with that Relic, it doubles the damage of that attack. Yeah. So you got me thinking, like, Multicast should have a, a tracker, like a number yeah. tracker. Every fifth cast, you're guaranteed to multicast. Or every sixth card, you're guaranteed to multicast. Then, all of a sudden, again, you're planning things out. You're casting things like Compel or Cunning Plan. You're trying to take up that counter. Even across lanes, right? It adds to that counter. And then on that lane, when, when Ogre is casting, you better be casting something good that you could guarantee to proc that multicast. I don't know. I think that might be more interesting than the whole, hey, 25% of time. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, that's a lot of time spent on Mono Blue. Okay, so the next deck to touch up real fast on is Black Red Aggro. I personally think the deck is perfectly fine uh, where it is. There's a, there obviously a lot of different variations to the deck, but what do you guys think? No, I, I, I agree with it. Like, It's like fun to play. It's rewarding to play, right? It's it's something like you, you have... There's a lot of skill involved because you have to plan um, you know, who you need to shut out, uh, cross-lane cross lane, uh, mechanics with the black and all that kind of stuff. You know, It's, it's rewarding to play. It's very skill intensive, right? Mm-hmm. And as someone playing against it, it's the same way around, right? It's very skill intensive when you play against a black red because you have to play around all of their cross lane things, you know, duels and calls, all that kind of stuff. It feels like what artifact originally was intended to be, <laughs> right? Very in depth. Um, a lot of uh, planning ahead. You know, it, it feels good to play as black red and against black red. So I'm I'm fine with black red as it is. Mm, I always just like any black variants, like any black deck variants. I always enjoy. I always think black's one of the most entertaining cards to watch. I agree because they're so like kind of risky, right? They attack for a lot, but they're also very weak on defense. So yeah. you're always juggling between the offense and defense. Yeah, I like I like most black decks as well. And then the next two category, I'm going to lump them together because I feel like for me personally, I'm going to say a lot of the same things about it. Mono Red, which is kind of a Tier 2 deck right now, and Blue Red Control, which is kind of fringe Tier 2, 1.5. And the issue I have with those two Red decks is that it's the same issue with the Wrecking Ramp. It's like either you time a Triumph or you don't time a Triumph. I I feel like the, the power level disparity is too high in the whole before and after phase of it. Um, I feel like Red almost needs another 6 or 7 mana card to actually play. I think Spring the Trap, for example, is a great um, comparison to Time of Triumph. Obviously, it's when you play Spring, you don't win, right? But it's a mm-hmm. very, very powerful tool that Red has the option to have. And a lot of Red decks build with that in mind. Yeah. I just feel like you have more. if you have another option like a mana 6, that's not Marifel Brawler. That's not a 6-16, like, dumb creep that that'll be more fun to play with and i kind of feel like red is missing that like after a certain point after six mana you're just looking at your options 
and you got routed, which is a pretty interesting option. And I gotta say, I don't, I haven't tried routed enough, really. Maybe, maybe routed is that card that we should be playing with. I, I'm not sure. You got routed. You got some dumb creep. You got the ogre conscript. You got the Marifo brawler. You got spring the trap, and then you have time of triumph. And I just feel like there's not enough top end. Um, and I, I just wish there's more options for red. Yeah. I mean, something we did talk about was the uh, red mist pillager. <laughs> well, that's yeah. not a seven or six, eight mana card, right? You know, as much as I love routed, you really just don't see it that much outside of draft, I think. I mean, some people run it in constructed. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it's not, it doesn't compare to putting in like time triumph. Like, if you're going to put one or the other in, you'd always put TOT. Always. Like, maybe routed will become more popular as mono blue uh you know if mono blue continues to stay on top and doesn't you know receive any nerfs because i think the minus mana really impacts your uh blue heroes quite a lot i mean routed is pretty much good against everyone if you can kill them like mono blue sure they die a lot more but i mean i've seen games where mono red just like routes four heroes against a Red black deck, for example. <laughs> so, the five man routed. Oh. Can you imagine like a mono red deck with four heroes with half their attack? I mean, that's pretty brutal. So, that's true. I, I was just thinking about routed, right? And uh, red blue. Mm-hmm. Mono red is a different thing on, on its own, but red blue, right? I was just thinking, like maybe maybe the counter to uh, red green ramp with mono blue, or with red red blue is to play more draw. And you let them ramp to Time of Triumph, right? If they turn to Time of Triumph, I mean, whatever. Like, there's really nothing you can do against that. It doesn't matter what deck you're playing. Right. But if you're able to hold until mana six, and they somehow ramp to Time of Triumph, you annihilate them, and okay. then you route them. And that cuts their damage in half, right? That pretty much like reduces it even beyond the uh, the Time of yeah, Triumph. Yeah, but there's also the Siege, and there's also the, the Cleave, and the Armor, and all that stuff. I, I mean, you know, you, you buy yourself a turn. So that you can time a triumph yourself by by turn eight. I don't know. You've broken your leg and you're putting a band aid on it. Like that's what I feel like. <laughs> you you know the card, uh, the green mana, six mana rare that nerfs everybody's attack by two. Do you know which uh, card I'm talking about? Atrophy. Yeah, curse of atrophy. Yeah. Every time I look at that card and then I look over to time a triumph, I'm just like, why? <laughs> it's yes, just like. Why? Yeah. Why is this a rare card? In, in fact, yeah. That's well, why, yeah. Exactly. Like, do you even play that shit in draft? I don't even play it. It's just just not a good card. I'm just looking at it. Would you play a five mana? Would you play a four mana? You probably play a four mana. I I think it would be way too. It was a four mana. It'd actually be pretty good. Pretty damn good. good. Five mana. I feel like that card should get buffed. Maybe a five mana. Even though we're not talking about. Yeah. Yeah. I I actually think that card. You know what it should do? It should be more in line with. uh, It should be more in line with Venge. What, vengeful spirits ability strength? no 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 um oh. so curse of atrophy should minus two attack from your opponents and like give two to everyone in, in your lane like two to your heroes in the lane no why don't you just make it an aura like you just uh make it a modifier i mean Ooh, i like that idea what what if it's like six mana give your give your hero modify your hero with an aura right yeah. Give your whole board plus one attack and when when that hero with the modification dies, then you permanently modify their board with minus one or minus Dude, two. Draw back in the meta. Let's go. <laughs> right. 
right? All right, we we uh, we got sidetracked. So this is yeah, <laughs> okay. So the last deck that I think is quite strong and that people should look at is uh, black blue econ. So you pay day, you get horns and vestures and all that stuff. I think yeah. the deck's fine. I, I I think that the deck doesn't need any changes or buffs or nerf. Any yeah. any thoughts on that? No, I actually agree. Like I've played against the deck a few times. Um, when I did like custom constructed matches with some friends. Um, and I would play, like, kind of Mimi decks, and blue-black, like, as long as you're playing smart against it, it's okay. Once they actually get the econ rolling and get the vestures out, it's a really hard game from there. So then it really depends on how your deck is structured. But it's not impossible to beat, um, and it has a lot of its own strengths, but, you know, I think it's in a pretty good place, all in all. This deck is kind of kind of weird for me. I feel this is like, you know what blue black econ feels like to me? It feels like, it feels like it's trying to do the same thing. Red green ramp is except it's weaker. in a different way, right? In a different yeah, way. It feels weaker. Yeah. Cause red green ramp, you're trying to wrap the time of triumph and we already know how insane that is. Uh, blue black econ, you're trying to ramp into horn of the alpha or vesters and okay. If you're running a potheosis blade, you're running like a tier seven deck. Right? <laughs> But, like, if you're playing blue-black econ, right, you're trying to rush into those items, and then you're trying to copy them and everything. Like, you're just taking forever to set up what red-green is trying to do with Time of Triumph. Um, I agree. But I think it's better. Well, not better as in it's stronger, but it's better for the card game. Because black-blue econ, the way it's ramping is killing your heroes and tracking you and painting, right? Like, there's some sort of interaction. I'm tracking you, and I'm killing you. Was wrecking Rams as oops? I guess I'm gonna double stars the line and TLT, and there's nothing you can do about it. There's there's <laughs> yeah. no there's no game there. You know, it's just like yeah. oh yeah, oopsie loose. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, although I will say, being in a game against three vestures is a uh, not very fun. Well, you only have yourself to blame if they have three vestures. I know, I know, but you know. well, I was gonna say you you also only have yourself to blame. By being in the game, you can just leave, man. Three vestures, I'm out, dude. <laughs> That's true. Or you, or you blame yourself for not running uh, corrosive miss. All right, we can't have an answer for everything. All right, thank you. Actually, guys. one of the best answers to multiple vestures is to just actually get out. And I don't mean the game, but the lane that they're in. So you, you try <laughs> to trick them into one lane, and then you you get out of the lane. Obviously, a lot a lot easier said than done, but you know. Uh. Oh, All right, no. just kill them. Just, just kill them. <laughs> just kill them, and then kill the tower. So and easy. then they're back next turn, huh? No, it doesn't matter because you've already taken the tower. Oh, it's easy. My. All right, that's gonna do it for our uh, gameplay discussion this week. And every week we're gonna have a little bit of lore corner because one of our hosts for the podcast, Sheila, she is a lore expert. Wow. She's always ready to tell us a little bit more about the world of artifacts. So, what's going on this week? Hell yeah! All right. Recently, we had a nice buff to Jasper Daggers, so I thought I would make this topical and talk a little bit about the Jasper Circle. The Jasper Circle uh, features prominently on a lot of black cards, but you can see them on a few blue and other cards in mentioning or in uh, passing. So Jasper Circle is led by Laurelin Lasan. You can see him pretty well on the art of both Escape Route and self-sabotage. He's basically the blue figure with the kind of beak-looking face. 
Oh. I don't know what kind of race he is. I think he's a new one. So Jasper Circle themselves are considered assassins for hire by the general population, but they're more of a spy ring that offers a multitude of other services. So you can see their influence in a lot of the different conflicts going on, primarily between the primarily the Roseleaf conflict um, and a little bit of Prolix and Kana. So you can look at Lodestone Demolition. You see there they're sabotaging the Bronze Legion in uh, unsupervised artillery. You can see that they've, you know, bribed the little kobold dudes into falling asleep and not really firing off them trebuchets. And you know they're the same trebuchets because it's the same design as the one in the actual trebuchet card. I had to look that up to make sure because I wasn't uh, 100%. <laughs> okay, I, I got a quick question as we're going through these arts. So you said they're assassins for hire, right? Yeah. Uh, the other assassin group that I know of are like the Sisters of the Veil. Are they in any way tied to them or they're not tied to them? Are they like rival gangs? No. <laughs> the rival gangs. Streets versus Sharks or Jets versus Sharks. No, no. They're not. The Veiled Sisterhood is more of a actual like secretive, like, I don't know. I don't want to say cult. But they're kind of a cult, you know, they kind of abduct young children and bring them into their fold and give them names and, you know, basically take over their lives. But no, I wouldn't say that they are rivals as far as we know. Okay. That will change later on. Um, but then, so those uh, cards that I mentioned and like the art and the lore within them show how they're full, neither, you know, for or against either side, they're basically just wherever the money's coming from. You can also see that they have a hand in Prelix versus Kana because you see Lord Lissan handing a bribe to Radiant Creep in the self-sabotage card art. It's really the only one that has Jasper Circle intertwined with Kana and Prelix, so I don't know if they're really only helping Kana's side or if it's just another example of they'll do whatever they can for money. So another fun fact is Meepo is currently indebted to the Jasper Circle. Uh, he owes a debt to them because they basically gave him money to pay off his debts at the racetracks. Dude, you know. everyone should listen to the Meepo <laughs> lore. It's actually the best. Yeah, yeah. we should do a, a in-depth Meepo lore one of these days, but... Yeah, but his and his plan right now is to let Bounty Hunter capture Mareska, aka Dark Willow, who if you played Dota 2, you know who she is, which he does because uh, one of the card arts that I can't recall off the top of my head, you can actually see him handing payday. her off. Payday. Yeah, actually, payday. Yeah. You can see her uh, being handed off to somebody within Reptile. Um but Meepo's idea is that after that, he would free her, then get her to pay off the Jasper Circles. I mean, we'll, we'll see how that goes. I don't actually know if it, it would be very successful. But uh, one thing I wanted to mention, though, is the motivations behind Jasper Circle. Because for the most part, like I said, they go wherever the money flows. But in the actual escape route card art, there's a quote where... Laurelin is basically talking to somebody, and he's shown assisting a figure called Losel. So his actual quote is, 
you know, while there's good money in murder, there's also a lot of effort in it, and I'm a busy man. And he's basically saying, you know, if you want to pay me instead of these other figures, I will help you escape from whoever's hunting you. When Lorland's describing the people going after Lossel, he mentions that they're very influential and very wealthy. And you can find one other mention of this Lossel figure, and it's actually on the Revtel Convoy card. And he mentions that uh, Iron, like the guy within Revtel Convoy, Lowen Platt, he mentions that Iron Fog is being terrorized by Lossel. So it's very heavily implied that Lossel is actually being targeted by the Brass King, who is one of the three figures of Reptel. And why? I don't know. And it kind of figures that Lorlin isn't really doing this for the money, that maybe he has some other motivations going on besides that. I feel like this this tale is unraveling. So all, <laughs> all, all I got is Jasper Circle, Mercenary for Hire, they're a group. They yeah. take your money and they kill people for you. Or they do other things too. Mm-hmm. No, but I'm saying... That's what you like. That's what you would expect. But if you unravel like this little bit of lore, it shows that the leader of Jasper Circle might have more motivations than just money. Like uh, there's I the potential see. that there's some other underlying yes. storyline there. Okay. Okay. There's always more. Yeah. Is he good? Find out in set two, maybe. <laughs> Please give me more lore. Okay, so that's going to do it for the podcast episode. But before we end the podcast, every week we're going to rank some silly things. And it's always somewhat hard to come up with these topics. Last week we talked about our favorite candy. This week, Sheila picked a topic. And it's the top three things that spark joy. Yeah, David and I. (laughs) Don't say David and I because I only watch a single episode of it. And I don't plan to continue on. But you you could tell what what spark joy is. (laughs) So there's a new Netflix show called uh, Tidying Up with uh, Marie Kondo, and she is a Japanese woman who basically goes to people and helps them figure out how to declutter and organize their lives. And these aren't like people who are pack rats or anything. Uh, They're just people who maybe have let things get a bit too far and they just don't know how to make things like organized and you know don't know how to unpack everything and there's like a lot of emotional baggage behind things too it's a very interesting show but anyway Marie Kondo's thing is where when you are trying to decide if you want to keep something or not you basically have to take the item look at it and think does this spark joy within me and she describes spark joy as like a raising of like the cells in your body. It just makes you feel, you know, ching. That's what she said? Yes. So how am I going to ask for this? Because not a single thing in life sparks joy for me. What about me? I got nothing. So, I mean, I'll start off first anyway, since uh, I shamelessly ripped the topic off uh, to begin with. So I made my things to spark joy household related since that's kind of the show, but you guys can do whatever. Uh, so one thing that I really, really like to do, and Steven is uh, aware of it, is organizing my shelves. I like decorating my shelves. I don't just put my books or my comic books on there. I've got, like, all sorts of, like, stuffed animals. I got, like, mugs. I have uh, these little, like, graded, like, folder things that I have pens stuck in, like, pins stuck into to decorate them. I'm all about that stuff. 
I gotta make them look nice. Okay, weirdo. My life. All right, next, I like to maximize my space efficiency. After moving in with this gentleman, I uh, have learned the value of trying to make my space as efficient as possible so that I don't feel claustrophobic and closed in. Because this guy did not care whatsoever. And to be fair, there's now, you know, two people occupying the same space that only one person was in. So it's very easy to, for things to feel a little overwhelming. But once I actually, like, get things organized in, in a nice way, it makes me feel really good. Feel really so can you, uh, can you give an example of what maximizing space efficiency means? Uh, yeah, sure. So, for example, I came in with a whole bunch of new clothes, right? Couldn't really figure out what to do. So I ended up buying like a bunch of hanging racks. I bought my own um, clothing rack that I inserted into the closet so that we could have like two different layers for the clothes. I'm going to be installing like more space racks and stuff so that we can like have kind of floating shelves going on, you know, that kind of stuff. So it's it's like buying a broadsword instead of a short sword, you know, just one slot, same slot. But just more efficient now. Exactly. Wow. Tying it to the game. And then uh, my number one thing that makes me happy is making the bed. This seems like a really dumb thing. And I know a lot of people hate making the bed. But like a messy bed, when I look at it. It's a messy life. Yeah, messy bed's a messy life. I just came up with that. I don't believe it at all. All right, anyway. When I wake up and make my bed and I look at it and it looks all like nice and clean and uh just like neat i feel good about myself and i'm like yeah you know, like, all right I'm, hey. I'm gonna just call you out real fast here because when okay, i go no, over no, 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 no. <laughs> i always wake up before this guy does right oh i see he's I see. Already in the bed by the time i leave he's usually still in the bed so i don't always get to make the bed i wish i did so steven no. this is this is saying you should make the bed not true, because I have to drive her to work, which means she could make the bed before she goes to work. Yeah, but you're always the last one to get uh, out of bed, and I'm always like, Steven, it's time to go, and you're like, all right, so you get out of bed, and then you get like ready in like one minute, and then we get out the door. So uh, That means you had one minute to make the bed, but you don't do it. I can't so. make the bed in one minute. Okay, I'm, I'm going to talk about my spark joy list. So that's all I had, Gad, before. I didn't know this was household related, so I actually <laughs> had to... I, I went through midlife existential crisis because I was like Stephen. Nothing gives me joy, oh, so no. I had to really dig deep and think about what actually makes me happy. Uh, I have to list now after like actually I sat down for like thirty minutes preparing wow. for this. I, I this list took me longer than preparing for the podcast. Okay, <laughs> so at number three is the first time experiences, and no, it's not what you're thinking, but sort of it is. It's basically. <laughs> It's basically the first time I discover something new or amazing. So, I mean, think of a, your your favorite movie, right? Mm-hmm. It's that first time you're watching the movie and the realization that you could never get that first time back. Like, like if I could wipe my mind and watch Spider-Verse again, that would make me really <laughs> happy. But I can't, yeah. right? i already seen Spider-Verse. Or like the first time I discover this cool combo in a card game or something. Or the first time I, I came up with this or that, the first time I experienced Breath of the Wild. I remember bre- beating Breath of the Wild for the first time. I was like, oh my god, this game is amazing. The problem with this joy is that it's very fleeting and, you know, once you have it once, it's just gone. 
because it's there's only a once first time. So a lot of things to discover. It just means you're not discovering enough. Yeah, maybe. Uh, that's why I'm also having a midlife crisis. Second <laughs> is uh, I love my loved ones cooking my favorite meal for me. So mm-hmm. I don't know if that's a simple happiness or something, but like when my mom makes me my favorite meal, like that just makes me really happy. I, yeah. I guess I don't need to explain that too much. Mm-hmm. And then lastly is uh, my favorite thing that brings me the most joy in the world is creating something myself. I don't consider myself a rare, very creative person. I'm not that Asian kid that plays a musical instrument. I don't know how to do art. So what you can consider like traditional creative creations, I'm just not very good at. So the times that I could actually make something that's of value that other people enjoy, it makes me really, really happy. That's nice. Okay. I like that. So that's that's all I had. It's it's very very general, and I can't actually give good examples for each category. But that's I that's mean, all I it doesn't have to be super special. Like, like, like okay, something that sparks joy in me is like smelling uh, sunscreen because it reminds me of the beach, and I always think about summer days God, when I was so, a kid. You're so weird. Oh, whatever. Anyway. What about your list? Huh? What sparks joy in your life, Mr. I haven't even thought up a list, so I'm just going to come up with something random off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. It's not that I couldn't think. It. I mean, it's not that I didn't take time to think about it. It's just I couldn't find anything that brings joy in my life. <laughs> wow, you're so edgy. No, it, that's not edgy. That's really depressing. <laughs> Do not I not bring be... joy in your life? All right, don't answer that, please. <laughs> What about like bibimbap? Even Korean food. How is eating Korean food not like a spark? What about Yakuza Zero? Exactly. Oh shit. Yeah. Man, that was that felt so good. All right, uh. number three. <laughs> number three. That thing things that bring that spark joy within me. Number three. That's a really good one. Oh, I got it. Just came up with it. You know why I just came up with it? I don't know why. Anyways. The thing that sparks joy in me, number three, it's when Sheila tells me I have a chore I need to do, right? And then I'm about to go do it. And then I'm immediately hit with a, oh, never mind. It doesn't need to be done anymore. Oh, that oh. shit is really good. <laughs> that shit is really good. I know exactly what you're talking about. That's some oh true spark joy shit. So good. <laughs> the greatest joy. Maybe I'll, that should be number one. Yeah, how's that number one? How's that not number one, man? That, that is actually the greatest feeling. <laughs> It's like, it's not even just chore. It's like anything work related. It's like, yo, you have to like do this on Friday or something. You got to like wake up at 8 a.m. and go and do it or something. And then they're like, oh, it got canceled. I'm just like, yo, yes. that, that reminds me. We So for the for the Panda TV tournament, the final was supposed to be split into two days and we're supposed to cast it over two days. Oh, and then right. they told us, yeah, we're going to just cast him one day. That shit was sparking joy, man. That was <laughs> yeah, that was good. Yeah, that was good. Yeah. Uh-huh. I'm so glad it's over now, so I can finally go back on a regular sleep schedule. All right, number two, number two. God, what really makes me happy? <laughs> I really couldn't think of anything. Oh, I'm also surprised Korean food isn't on there for you. Like, dude, I got it. it. Number two, it's mm-hmm. when someone subscribes to me. <laughs> So if you want to bring me some joy, <laughs> you can subscribe to me at twitch.tv slash eosubscribe. Wow. <laughs> Got him. <laughs> and number one, it's when Beast Coast sends me their goods. <laughs> okay. Hey, 
I'm gonna be real. They send me like enough clothing to last me like three years. So that's true. You only wear like five shirts. As an Asian, ever. when you get to save money, dude, that's actually that's that's the biggest. Part Wait, I just realized something. <laughs> Applying discounts. Oh shit, that's good. Oh my goodness. Good. All right, that's my number one. Applying discounts. Okay. Dude, I went to Qdoba the other day, and we finally had enough points to redeem one free entree. And I, 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 the original price was like $27 for three orders. And I was like, wait up, let me scan this. Scanned it. And I was like, oh, your order is now $17. And I was just like, goddamn, I just saved $10. <laughs> amazing. Just amazing. And I just couldn't stop telling telling myself and and my brother i went with alex it's like bro that was so cheap three meals like three kidoba meals only 17 dollars. we just saved 10 dollars. you know when you're asian when your top <laughs> two out of three sparking joy is money related <laughs> oh man all right good. guys that is gonna do it for this episode i hope you guys had as much fun listening to it as we had fun doing it. Uh, this podcast is weekly, and if you want to talk to us, btsartichoke at gmail.com is the way to reach us. Uh, our mailbox is extremely lonely, and we would love <laughs> to answer your mail mail questions, but, you know, you got to send them first. You can follow myself at Luminous Inverse, my lovely co-host at Insert Fail, as well as at Aosin Dota. And of course, you could spark joy uh, in Aosin's life by watching his stream at twitch.tv slash Trash, And I guess subscribing as well. But uh, mm-hmm. that's it. Thank you guys for listening, and we will see you next week. See you later.